Amen. Thank you, guys. We had to go acoustic because our drummer uh, was sick among all of the many, right? That's kind of thing. So a lot of you uh, who've been around for a little while, you've heard story after story of me growing up in the swamp and all those kind of things, right? Like I had a grandpa who wrestled alligators and lived on the river and all that kind of stuff. And uh, just pretty crazy, especially for you guys in this context, right? Like that's kind of a crazy story. Where I grew up, that wasn't that, it was kind of normal uh, and those kinds of things. So when I say that my grandpa was crazy, most of you are like, well, yeah, he wrestled alligators, right? But like I said, where I'm from, that was kind of normal. Uh, but what made him crazy was that he was actually crazier than the crazy people, okay? So here's one story. <clears throat> I remember one time I was hanging out with him, uh, or I was hanging out at their uh, camp house. It was a house on the river that was on stilts kind of thing. I was hanging out there. I, was, I think I was on the neighbor's dock fishing or something like that, and my grandpa and, and grandmother were uh, in their house and that kind of thing. And I start walking back to their house, and all of a sudden I hear just like, a gun, a gun go off, and then the ground near me explodes, right? Like, just like, and I look up, and my granddad has his AK-47 that he uses for deer hunting pointed in my direction, uh, and I'm like, what? And I look down, and there was a snake, actually. He had seen a snake that I was walking by, uh, a copperhead that I was walking by, but he thought, hey, instead of, hey, JJ, watch out for the snake, I'm going to get my gun, and I'm just going to shoot the snake, not thinking that you're shooting in the same direction as your grandchild, right? So when I say my granddad was crazy, I mean, like, the, the man was crazy. And, I mean, like, when you're a kid, like, I mean, of course, that was terrifying. But, like, all the other stuff, like, it's, it's legendary and it's exciting and it's awesome. But the older I am now and reflect back on all the things that he let me do and I saw him do, I was like, shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that <laughs> kind of things. But, like, he's, I mean, in, in my mind, even now reflecting back, though, like, he was just, like, he was crazy, but he was also a, a legend in a lot of the things that he did and just all these things. And I even hear stories of things he did that I wasn't around for that just seem crazy and impossible, but awesome in all the ways like he would like kill hogs and all kinds of weird like swamp things, right, uh, that he would do. Uh, but reality is like as legendary as he is, he was still a flawed human like the rest of us, right? Maybe more flawed because he's willing to point a gun in the direction of his grandchild, uh, but flawed nonetheless, no matter how legendary, right? Like if you think of a lot of the legends of old, they're either just not real at all or they were actually human in the things that we think of in those. They're actually not as perfect or impervious as we think they would be by the legends that we get now. I think sometimes as we think about people in the Bible, we build up these legends in the same way. Like you think of David, like killing a giant, right? Goliath, or you think of Moses, like parting the sea, right? Like you think of all these like incredible, like crazy things that they do and we forget their humanity and that they were flawed, sinful, imperfect people just like you and I, right? And you hear those stories and you're like, gosh, like I'm nothing like David. No, you actually probably, hopefully haven't done as much evil and sinful things as David actually did, even though he got to do some incredible things from, because of God, right, and through him and in him and those kind of things. So what I want us to see the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the heroes uh, in the Old Testament. The next three weeks, we're going to look at three different people in the Bible and see their heroic side, but also want us to see their flawed side, not just so that we can pick on them and say that they ultimately are terrible, just like the rest of us. That's part of it, like to see that they're humans. But what I want to see, what I want us to see, and I'm just going to give the next three weeks away, Hopefully you'll still come, right? Uh, to give the next three weeks away, the ultimate thing I want us to get from this is, is even though David got to kill a giant, even though that Moses got to part the sea and all those kinds of things, they got to do all these incredible things, 
The reason they got to do all of that was because of God, who is unchangeable. He is the same God today as he was then. The same God that we love and serve and follow now. And if these people that we see in Scripture got to do all these incredible things and they're just flawed humans like us and God used them, that means that God can and wants to still use you and I today even though we're flawed and we think we're nothing like these people in Scripture. Does that make sense? So let's jump to Genesis uh, chapter 11 and we'll meet our first uh, flawed person in Scripture that we're going to go over for the next few weeks. All right, Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 27. I'm going to tell a lot of the story. This is We're going to read a little bit and get introduced here, <clears throat> and then I'm just going to tell you a bunch of the other stuff, okay? So verse 27 of chapter 11 of Genesis. Now these are uh, the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, uh, Naor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Some of these names should hopefully sound familiar, some of them not so much. Um, Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land uh, of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Right, do you guys know on a map where Israel is? I should have put a map up here. Do you guys, like the Mediterranean Sea, you guys familiar with that? Right, Mediterranean Sea, Israel's like right on the, this like eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. Ur was like, there was this like thing that was like on the map, and especially it's, it's called the Fertile Crescent over here, looks like a crescent, right? And Ur was like way over here in like the like fertile, like you want to be there, it's prosperous, it's easy to farm, it's a good place to be kind of thing, okay? That, that's important in a little while, okay? So in Ur of the Chaldeans, verse 29, And Abram and Nahor took wives. Uh, the name of Abram's wife was uh, Sarai, and the name uh, of Nahor's wife, Malchah. That's a good woman name, right? Malchah. Uh, the daughter of Haran, the father of uh, Malchah, uh, and uh, Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. So the first person we're going to talk about this week, uh, or the only person we're talking about this week, but in this series, is Sarah. Here she's called Sarai, right? But her name is Sarah, eventually. When we think of Sarah, the stories you've heard of Sarah, often she is seen as this great woman of faith. She and Abram were the father and mother of the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God. They, they're where all of this begins. God shows them to begin the, his holy, set-apart people, right? So that's a big deal, right? And she's, she's a woman of faith. She, you see here that she was uh, barren, but God eventually tells her that she is going to have a child, and that child, from that child is going to come the nation, uh, and all these things. And, and it's, we, we see her as just one of the, the great female figures of, of the Bible that we want to live up to be like and have the faith like her. But I want us to see that she is actually flawed like the rest of us. One of the uh, interesting things I, I found about her, though, is she's actually, to my knowledge, and maybe, Adam, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, she's the only uh, woman in all of Scripture that God changes her name. There are a few different men that he changes their name. Abram is one of them, becomes Abraham, right? Saul, Paul, arguable if that's actually a name change or just a language change, but still, name change possible. Um, but Sarah, the only woman in all Scripture that gets her name changed, which is interesting, is uh, Sarai means my princess or my noble woman, right? My princess. So sweet, his fa her father named her, you know, my princess. Uh, but then when God changed her name, he changed her name to Sarah, which means princess. Not just my princess, but princess or noble woman, right? Those kinds of things. So there's this, this name change that God does. So it's obviously... Um, God cares about her a whole lot. She's an incredible woman of faith and all these things. She's the only woman in all Scripture that, that God changes her name, and that's a good thing, you know, and all these kinds of things. But I want to see, I want us to see a different side 
upstairs. I want to tell a few uh, of her stories. See, the deal is, is eventually God calls them to leave Ur, where they're at, and go to the land of Canaan, which is completely different than Ur. Ur, like I said, was very fertile. It was a great place. You wanted to be there to farm, to have resources and all the things. And Canaan was actually desolate, desert, hard place to live. God calls them to move there because eventually that's where the nation of Israel will be established and all the things, right? Calls them to go there. uh, And she goes, which is an incredible moment of faith. And we'll wrap back around to that uh, in just a little while. But in all that time, God had promised that they would bring forth a nation from them, a nation would come. But she, even at this point, we see that she's not able to have children. Right? And so in her mind, there's just these dec- literally decades and decades of waiting on the Lord. The Lord has promised this, and so I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. But in all of that waiting, there are hard times. There are times that there's doubting and, and lose faith and all these kind of things. One of, the, uh, one of the moments that we see Sarah and Abraham... Uh, see some of their flaws. There are two different times. I'm going to talk about one of them. And this, I still actually don't know. And maybe, Chris, you can tell me later the point of these stories. But uh, Abraham and Sarah, there's one specific time where they're, they're being, encountering a king. And Abraham says, hey, let's lie and say that you are my sister, which actually wasn't a lie. They were like step brother and sister, which is also kind of weird, but we won't get into that tonight. Um, that was supposed to be something you laugh at, but that's okay. Um, so they were supposed to, they, they were deceiving this king, right? Because Abraham, for whatever reason, was afraid that if they told the truth, that they were, that he was going to be killed, right? And, uh, and so they lie. And then this king takes Sarah as his own wife, which, I mean, my wife's here and I was going to say this, whether she was going to be here or not, I would rather die than let my wife marry somebody else. Like I, I will willingly let someone kill me, uh, before I would let her marry somebody else, right? Now, maybe I'm just overly jealous, but I don't care about my life so much that I'm willing to make her marry somebody else so that I can live, right? But that's where Abraham and Sarah are for some reason, right? And so this is a big, what I would call a big flawed moment, right? They decide that it's okay to deceive these people in this way uh, so, that they can, so that Abraham can continue to live. For whatever reason, when we don't see Sarah fight back about this or whatever. She, I don't know if she just thinks it's a good idea or we just don't hear her side of the story, but she ends up marrying the guy uh, and all kinds of bad curses and things happen to this family and the king and all that. And he eventually is like, why did he figures out what happened? He's like, why did you guys lie to me? And he sets them free and they go, which I feel like at that moment, you're probably more likely to be killed by the king than if you had just told the truth to begin with, right? And so you see this, these people who are supposed to be the, the father and mother of an incredible nation of God's chosen people are here deceiving people just so they can stay alive in a story that I, I don't know really ultimately why they felt like their life was in danger. So you start to see that these are just people. There's a fast forward. There's another story. I believe it's in chapter 15 where these three men who we eventually find out were angels, right? They show up and uh, Abraham's talking to them. He goes and gets a bunch of food, settled around for him and that kind of thing. And they, Basically, God, at this point, God says, a, a year from now, Sarah will be pregnant, right? And at this point, she's well into her 90s, which is well beyond the time that women typically have children. Uh, <laughs> and all the women in the room are like, yep, right? And uh, so she's well into her 90s. I mean, people live longer at this point, but even then, 90 was way past have children time, right? And so what actually happens is she laughs. God says, in, a year from now, Sarah will be 
we'll have a child. And she laughs at God. Right? I don't know a lot of people who get to do that, but Sarah was one of them. Uh, and God knows, right? Because God knows all the things, right? And his response was, he could have just like crushed her, and he kind of did, but not in like a demoralizing, shameful way. What he said was, is anything impossible for God? No, nothing is impossible for God, right? We just saying that, right? Nothing is impossible for God. He's unstoppable, unchangeable God, right? But Sarah has this moment of doubt, right? She sees, well, I'm beyond all this, right? How is this even possible? And she laughs at what God has said. This is what, this is what I would call an incredible moment of doubt in the God that she has served and has been faithfully following for decades at this point. I think for Sarah, she had, I think she had given up hope, right? She had heard that God had wanted her and Abraham to, to have a child that would bring forth this nation, but I think she had given up hope that she was going to be the one to do that. She had, she had stopped believing that God could do what he had said he could do. And so one of the questions I, I ask myself and I want us to ask ourselves tonight, like, do you believe that God can do big things through you and in your life. Like, I think we, again, we see these characters and we go, oh, God did big things through them because they're different than me. They're really not. And I think sometimes we get to where we're waiting so long, like, especially those of you who are getting toward the end of your high school time, maybe you're like, what do I actually want to do with my life? What does God want me to do with my life, right? And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And it starts to just feel like God's, maybe God's not going to do this big, incredible thing, right? And most of us aren't going to get to part C's. All of us probably aren't going to get to part of C. David, have you parted a C lately? No? Okay. All right. Uh, and so, like, I'm not talking about like that, but what I'm talking about is, is kingdom eternal impact that we're called to have. Do you believe that God can actually use you to do that? That's a big part of having faith in God, knowing that even though you're flawed, even though we're broken, God still chooses to use us and wants to do big things in us. Another moment for Sarah is that she, before uh, this time, uh, the three men saying that, or that God's saying a year from now she'll have a child, she started to develop her own plan. She was like, okay, well, if God wants us to have a child that's going to bring forth this nation, I obviously can't have children, so maybe there's got to be a different way that this happens. She decides that one of their servant girls should, her and Abraham should sleep together and have a child, and then they'll raise that child as their own, uh, and from that child can come the nation of Israel. It's real weird. Again, I don't understand the logic of all these things, but they do, right? And, uh, and so she, she approaches Abraham, he agrees, right? And so he and the servant girl have a child, and Abraham starts to love this child. But what ends up happening is that Sarah becomes incredibly jealous. And the situation gets really bad for the servant girl, for the child, right? Because she's, Sarah sees that it's not actually her child. Abraham loves this child because he's a good father, right? And all these things. And so just jealousy builds and builds and anger and resentment and all these things build in her. Like Sarah, have you, have you ever tried to do something your own way? Like you, instead of waiting on the Lord, continuing to wait for his thing to work out, have you ever tried to just like do it in your own strength? Like if you're just your normal daily life, are you just doing it the way you think it's done best? Or are you actually trying to follow God and live the way that he has called us to live? Because here's the deal. God's plans never end with us being filled with anger and jealousy 
in resentment. That's how you know that what Sarah has done here is not what God had planned. It ended with her completely being sinful, right? And God's plans don't end that way. And, that, and that's what I want us to see in this, in this moment is we're, we're all sinful, we're all going to fail, we're all going to have, we all have flaws. But when we try to go it our own way, it's going to end poorly. The times that we try to do things in our own strength, in our own way, and make up our own plans, for a time, they may seem great, right? For a time, it may have seemed great that they finally had a kid, even though it wasn't hers, they finally had a kid, and it was something she'd been waiting for and all that. But then in the end, her plan did not work out the way she wanted to because it was Sarah's plan, not God's plan. And we have to, t- we have to realize that in our own life, too, that we've got to follow God. Now, that doesn't mean that we sit around twiddling our thumbs waiting for God to tell us something, right? We talked about this before. Like, we're not waiting for, like, the Lego step-for-step instructions. We, kinda, we have our marching orders, like, love God, love people, share the gospel, right? Like, you can, when all else fails, do those things. When all else fails, no matter what is falling around you, no matter what you think may be this or that or whatever, if you're doing those three things, then you're doing what God has called you to do, right? Now, we've been talking about a lot of negative things about Sarah, but what I want us to, I want us to come back around, because I'm a positive person, right? Um, on the other side of that, circle back around to what I talked about earlier, earlier, Sarah is held as a hero in Scripture because she, she was. She was a hero in Scripture because she did, through it all, though she had moments of failure, she had moments of doubt, she had moments of deception, she had these moments of jealousy, she had all these sinful moments, she still continually came back to God, worshiped God, and had faith in God. And it all began at the very beginning with her and Abraham when God called them to leave their place of comfort to go somewhere that was hard, to do something that seemed impossible. Which I think is really cool, right? That God has called them to do that. And the deal is, is he's called all of us to do the exact same thing, to leave our comfort zones, right? It's not comfortable to when you're at school or you're at some kind of event or something or you're just hanging out with friends or something, it's, it is uncomfortable because we don't do it very often to talk about the things of God. It's uncomfortable to share the gospel. It's uncomfortable to take that step out of our comfort zone. But God calls all of us to do that. And so then the final question is, are you willing to step out of your comfort zone for God like Sarah did? Right? So just a quick recap. Do you believe that God can do big things through you and in your life? Hopefully the answer is yes, or you can get to a place that that's yes. Have there been times, or are you in a time now where you're trying to do all of this in your own strength? You've got to give that over to Jesus, right? And then the ultimate challenge is this. And I want, I want you guys in, in your small group in a little bit to talk this out in some practical ways, right? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone for God? When God calls you to move, calls you to talk to somebody, to step out, and do something, are you actually willing to do that? Are you going to actually do it when the time comes? Let me pray. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song, and then we'll transition to small groups and stuff. Father, I, uh, I thank you that you used Sarah in some incredible ways, even though she was flawed. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would move in all of our lives, starting with me, to have the faith 
that Sarah had to learn from her mistakes and to realize that you too want to do big things in our lives, that you want to have, you want to use us to have an eternal impact on the people around us, to change people's lives through you. And it's through your power and your strength and your plan that all that happens. Lord, I thank you so much that you choose to use broken people like me and those of us in the room. I love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stay in the same.